0: You know, we talk often in the church about uh, the importance of faith formation and we even talk quite a bit about discipleship at home. And, uh, and we're even more sensitive to that particular thing these days when we're not meeting for Sunday school or many other of our typical discipleship kinds of activities. And so today, as we read our scripture text, we want to demonstrate a way to perhaps increase our engagement with, uh, with scripture. And so we're going to physically act out uh, the reading this morning. And this is something that, uh, that you can also try at home as it increases the level of, of learning and uh, sometimes even brings a little more fun to the text as well. So today, uh, the Fickard family is going to help demonstrate what this might look like in your own homes. Um, Tyler is, uh, is going to serve as Elijah this morning. Please note his cloak, or as it's sometimes referred to, his mantle. And, uh, and Megan is going to serve us as Elisha, and she's plowing in the field with her oxen. And the rest of the Fickerts are going to uh, serve as Elisha's family and the people of, of her community. So, our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. And this can be found on page 580 in your Pew Bibles. Page 580. So, Elijah went from there and found Elisha son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thanks to the Fickard family as well for helping us out this morning. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I was uh, driving to work a few weeks back and the talk on the radio was centered on Who would pick up the mantle of Alex Trebek? And I kid you not, that's the exact language that they used. The mantle of Alex Trebek. Who would pick it up? Who would be the next host of Jeopardy? Would it be Ken Jennings or Katie Couric or perhaps even Aaron Rodgers? Who would replace the man? The man. But I found it pretty amazing that we still talk about passing the mantle. At the same time, that idea or that phrase seems to have been totally secularized. I mean, when I think of passing the mantle, I think, of, I think of people like Moses and Joshua. I think of Paul and Timothy, and yes, I think of Elijah and Elisha. I don't think of people like Alex Trebek, I don't think of Jeff Bezos, I don't think of Bob Euchre and who their successors might be we have other metaphors for people like that right we talk about passing the baton or filling big shoes or the heir apparent but this kind of language i think is unique the passing of the mantle There's something different about it. There's something more spiritual, perhaps, about it. However, it does, I think, include those other things, right? For instance, it does take two. It takes an Elijah and it takes an Elisha. And as we read through this text this morning, I think we can't help but sort of identify with either one or the other of those two. Perhaps you identified this morning, as we read through that text, more with Elijah, You're not only ministering in God's name somewhere in the church and in life, but you're also building into other people who will follow behind you. You're challenging and equipping someone one day to replace you. Maybe as an elder, you're not just, you know, ticking off the number of meetings that you have to attend, but you're actually building into the next generation of of elders, or as a nursery greeter, you're not just, you know, making sure that the infants get to the infant room and the toddlers get to the toddler room, as important as that is, but you're also passing on to the next generation or the next person in line the urgency of welcoming others in the name of Christ. As a GEMS leader, you're, you're doing more than just organizing chaos on Wednesday nights, right? You're throwing the mantle over future leaders in the church. Some of you will identify with Elijah, and, and if not, then perhaps a good question for you this morning is, who is it that I could or should perhaps be building into? Others of you this morning will identify more with Elisha. Elisha's just had the prophetic mantle thrown over him. He's like a 16-year-old who's just been handed the keys to the family sedan and he's wondering what this baby can do. Some of us are in, in that position, aren't we? Maybe we've just been asked to lead a ministry for the very first time. We don't know what that might entail. Or we've been asked to teach Sunday school and we don't understand really how the kids are gonna react. Um Maybe you're new to the church and you've just been asked to serve on your very first committee, you're a little nervous about that, or maybe you're away from home and living on your own for the first time, or else you're newly married or a new parent and it's, it's your turn to actually be responsible for the spiritual well-being of another person. Some of you are going to relate more to Elisha this morning. But what i want you to see today is that for the mantle to be passed you need two people someone who does the passing someone who's actually willing to build into the life of another who's willing to take that kind of time that kind of energy and then you also need someone to receive the mantle someone who's who's humble enough to receive it someone who's also willing to take up the mission of God and to advance it to the next step for a church to be healthy you need both of those types of people you need both Elijah's and Elisha's and yet even with that said it still doesn't seem that easy does it I mean it's not like a one plus one equals two kind of equation You can have Elisha, you can have, or Elijah, you can have Elisha, that doesn't mean that you're going to get a wonderful prophet who advances the kingdom of God. There's just something more to it, isn't there? And So what I'd like to look at with you a little more this morning is, is this particular text, these people, Elijah and Elisha, and let's see if we can figure out what that extra element really is. When we look at the person of Elijah, as we said a few weeks ago, we really don't know much about this man. I mean, he's a man without a past. He's a man without a history. He just appears on the scene as a prophet of the Lord. We don't know who his parents were. We don't know the name of his alma mater. Was it a very good school or not? Elijah just appears and he's a prophet. And I think that's what we think about most prophets, right? They just appear. But Elisha is different. Elisha is a man with a history. Elisha is a man with a resume. Elisha has a life before prophecy, sort of like some of us can remember, maybe life before med school or life before kids. Elisha has a life before prophecy, before becoming the spokesman for the Lord. For instance, Elisha has a family. He's the son of Shaphat. He has a father and a mother that he must leave behind. He has an occupation. He's a farmer working the fields. And in fact, he's probably a a rather wealthy farmer at that. We find him plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. You know, one ox in those days was a luxury. Elisha has 12 yoke. That's 24 oxen. It's like having you know, 12 John Deers to plant with and another 12 combines to bring in the harvest. There's an affluence to Elisha. But the point is that Elisha has a life. Elisha has a history. Elisha is tethered to to a group of people and to a plot of land and to a a certain quality of life and a certain standard of living and so the question becomes what would cause someone like elisha to up and leave his life and the trajectory he was on for something as unsettled and as dangerous and as isolating as the life of a prophet What was the earthquake that sufficiently shook the foundations of Elisha's life that he would get up and leave it all behind? And the answer, I think, is this, Elijah's mantle. Elijah passed by Elisha. And as he passed by, he threw the mantle over this young man. It was his mantle. Now, if you don't believe that, let's just, just think about this mantle for a moment, okay? This mantle wasn't just an article of clothing. It wasn't just an accessory that could complement Elijah's entire wardrobe. This mantle was a badge of office. It was a sign of the very presence and the power Of the Spirit of God. I mean, if you think a little further ahead in the story, remember what Elisha did when those fiery horses and chariot came and, and they separated Elisha from Elijah, and Elijah was then whisked up into heaven. You remember what happened on that day? Elisha picked up Elijah's mantle and he went over to the Jordan River, the very river that Elijah had just crossed. And how Elijah crossed it was he took his mantle and he struck the river Jordan with it and the Jordan divided to the right and to the left. And so Elisha stood in that very same place and he took that mantle and he struck the river and it divided for him as well. And it was a sign that Elisha now had the Spirit of God upon him to do the work of God, to be the prophet of God. This was a badge of office. But there's more to it than that. I think there's much more. Last week, we looked all the way back to Mount Sinai and to Moses. Remember we said there that when Moses was on Mount Sinai, um, God passed by Moses. Moses wanted to know that God was with him. Moses was feeling alone. And isolated and he said to God Lord if you want me to lead these people into the promised land you have got to show me that you are present you're present with me you're present with these people Moses said Lord I want you to show me your glory I want you to become manifest among us I want to see your glory and God responded graciously and he said Moses I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. All of my goodness. But before he could do that, he said, Moses, you've got to climb into this cave, into the cleft of this rock, and I'm going to cover you with my hand because all you're going to be able to see of me is my back as I pass by. Because if you saw any more of that, if you took on all of my goodness without anything deflecting it, You would be destroyed you would be destroyed now have you ever really considered that idea that god's goodness was too much for moses to take in and likewise that it's too much for you and me to take in his goodness his goodness was deadly um Sometimes I think that, you know, we, we might believe that if we were to encounter, you know, if we were to encounter God's wrath one day, that yes, we would be destroyed. If we would encounter His vengeance, we wouldn't be able to handle that, even perhaps His disappointment, right? If we were to look into God's eyes and saw what He really thought about the lives that we live, that might be too much for us to take. But have you ever considered that even his goodness would be too much for us? That his mercy is just too merciful? That his justice is too just? That his generosity is is too lacking in discretion? We wouldn't know what to do with it. Have you ever thought that his goodness could kill us? Well, have you ever stood in the presence of someone really good? And if so, how did, how did that make you feel? Maybe we could ask Cain about that as he stood in the presence of Abel. What did that make you feel like, Cain, when you compared your sacrifice with his? I think he'd say it made him feel small. It made him feel insignificant, worthless, wretched. I mean, there was a reason that Cain killed Abel, right? That's what, that's what envy does. That's the nature of envy. You either have to destroy the good or it's going to destroy you. That's how you feel. Children will do this sort of thing to us i mean little kids they're they're so innocent they're so pure they're so good sometimes uh sometimes i'll be <clears throat> drinking a, a soda or eating a cookie or something like that and lily will will be my, me me you know I, I want some and my my first thought is hey limited supply let's limit demand um it's not good for you anyway But then the next time she's got something good in her hands, what does she do? She's like offering it to me. Take it. It's like, this is really good. I want to share it with the people I really love. And it makes you feel small. Imagine confronting God in all of his goodness. It would be too much to take. Pure goodness will destroy us quicker than anything. And so God had to shield Moses from, from all of that goodness when he passed by. But there was still, there was still a remnant. Elijah too experienced this passing by of God. We saw this last week. Elijah's up on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai as we were reminded. When, when God's passing was foreshadowed by by an incredible wind and by earthquake and fire, but God wasn't in any of those things. He wasn't in any of them. Rather, He was only in the silence, that quiet patience of His, that long-suffering love of His, that grace, quiet grace. That's where God was. Now, that that doesn't mean that God never judges. That doesn't mean that God is never in the fire and never in the earthquake. Sometimes He is. It doesn't mean that God doesn't, you know, mete out justice upon evil, because He does. It only means that, that God is a God of grace, and that's the only way we can survive in His presence. It means that we are far worse sinners than we ever dare to imagine And yet we are far more loved than we can ever dare to believe. It means that in love, God puts his wrath, God puts his anger, God puts his his rightful judgment on hold. And he allows his love to go to work to pull us back to himself. God passes by Elijah in grace. He passes by Elijah in all of his goodness. And when God passes by Elijah on that mountain, do you remember what Elijah does? He covers himself with something. You remember what it was? His mantle covers himself with his mantle. And it's just a few verses later then that Elijah, and the text, our English text doesn't say it here, but the Hebrew says Elijah passes by Elisha. And as he passes by Elisha, he throws that very same mantle over Elisha. And it's a mantle I think that's still fresh with the aroma of God. It's still fragrant with the scent of God's goodness, the God who had just passed by. Odors are, are powerful things, aren't they? They're powerful. The other day I was outside snow blowing, and it was hours later that Jackie told me, You smell like gas. And I wonder if, if that's how Elisha knew. Elijah, you, you smell like God. But what odors do even more powerfully is, is they trigger memories, don't they? I mean, whenever I'm around someone who smokes, I immediately, my memory goes back to my dad, sitting with him in a car full of cigarette smoke, kind of choking, but... I remember him. Maybe a a certain perfume or cologne might bring you back to your very first Valentine's Day together. Certain odors, certain scents are connected to memories and they're powerful things. This is why it can be so hard to sort through the clothes of a loved one after they've died. The fragrance of that person just fills the clothing and the memories come flooding back and sometimes it's just too much for us. Elisha can smell the aroma of God still on Elijah's mantle. The fragrance of of a jealous God who's jealous for the love and devotion of his people. The scent of a God determined To call all the nations back to himself and make them his children. The odor of a God pining for his prodigal child to return. You wonder what would move Elisha to leave everything to follow Elijah? How about the aroma of God? In fact, I don't think it was even a question for Elisha. One whiff and Elisha left everything that he knew. And he made a clean break with his past. He butchered his oxen. He burned the plow for fuel. He cooked the meat for his loved ones to eat. In other words, he ritualized this most important moment of his life. It was a moment of death. And a moment of birth. Elisha was making a clean break with his past. And he was moving ahead to follow God. Wherever that led him. The smell of God's goodness is a powerful thing. And it must be. Because discipleship always demands a leaving. Doesn't it? It always demands a break with the past. Elisha's discipleship and ours. Jesus made this pretty clear himself. He said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, if if a farmer has one hand by which he's guiding the plow and the other hand by which he's holding the reins of the oxen, if he starts... Looking back to where he was, all sorts of bad things are going to happen, aren't they? I mean, the rows get crooked, then the plow hits a stone and breaks. Nothing good comes of of looking back. You have to leave the past behind. The security of the past, the stability of the past, the well-being of the past... But also the sins of the past and the insecurities of the past. It's all got to be left behind. What is it that makes an alcoholic quit drinking? What is it that makes a a womanizer stop straying? What is it that makes a glutton pass you a piece of cake? What makes a plowman cut up his ox and burn his plow? He finds something better. He smells something better. The goodness of God. If Elisha gave up his past, his entire life, after just one whiff of a mantle, Imagine Jesus himself passing by. All the goodness of God concentrated in one human being. Imagine Jesus passing you by and throwing his mantle over your shoulders and saying, come and follow. What would you do? You might just leave without saying goodbye. You might just leave your boats abandoned and your nets lying on the shore. You might just leave your money sitting in the bank. You might leave your bitterness where it can no longer hurt. You might leave your anger to burn itself out. You might leave your arrogance humbled and broken. You might leave your grudges starved for nutrition. You might just pick up your cross and follow him 100% in fully devoted no looking back. And yet that's not always the case, is it? That Jesus passes by us directly so close that you can almost touch him. Passing by us in all of his goodness. It's not always the case, is it? Instead, it's often like with Elisha. Most of us just catch a passing fragrance of Christ. We smell his goodness... But indirectly. And yet it just so happens that even that is enough. As it turns out, you can always tell a person that Jesus has passed by. And when they throw their mantle over you, the scent is so strong that you have little choice but to follow. I remember uh, one such person I remember my Uncle Jack growing up in Sheboygan my Uncle Jack was a welder he was also an elder in the church and so when you're an elder you do some teaching in the church and I remember I must have been in junior high one Sunday when Uncle Jack was the substitute Sunday school teacher and his lesson was on sex Which, looking back now, I understand why he was substituting that day. his regular teacher probably didn't want to do it. And I don't remember much about that lesson. In fact, I don't think I learned anything about the Christian view of sex that day. He kind of bumbled his way through the entire thing. He wasn't much of a teacher. And yet, I caught the aroma of Christ that day. Because he taught with such passion and such urgency and such devotion to Christ. He wanted us to be disciples of Jesus just like he was a disciple of Jesus. There was nothing more important to him in that moment. And I couldn't help but smell Christ. And when you smell Christ, there's nothing you can do but get up and follow. And I think some of you have experienced the same thing, haven't you? I mean, why is it that you keep on setting up chairs and taking them down again and setting them up again? And why is it that you send out so many cards, get well and greeting and happy birthday? My guess is it's because of someone who went before you and you smelled the aroma of Christ on them and there was nothing else you could do. Why is it that you make so many meals for the sick? Why do you visit people in prison? Why do you teach people how to budget when they can't seem to keep their numbers straight? Why do you invite the lonely over for dinner on Tuesday night and if they can't make it, you try Thursday night? Why is it that you're a youth leader? Why do you give up your Sunday nights? My guess is it's because somebody went before you and and then they passed by you and they threw a mantle over you. Why is it that you fill up your home with other people's children? Why do you stress out over preparing another life group lesson? Why sweat over fresh teaching examples when you could be watching Netflix? Well, again, chances are you knew an Elijah who did those things before you did and one day passed you by. And when she did, you smelled Jesus. And that's all it took. You left home that day and you became something new. And as tempting as it is to look back sometimes, and as tempting as it is to stop and just take a rest for a while, the aroma of God keeps reminding you, forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Friends, to be the church, Elijah needs his Elisha. And Elisha needs his Elijah. But to be the church, all of us need the mantle of Christ thrown over us. We all need to smell the aroma of God in Jesus. I pray that you will. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in your grace you would come to sinners such as we, such as us, and you would pass by us in all of your goodness. And instead of destroying us, your goodness would call us, your goodness would equip us Your goodness would bring us into full service of christ our king never looking back always looking forward thank you for your grace in our lives and lord may we serve you in such a way that someday the scent of your spirit may be upon us as well the scent of christ himself and that smell may be contagious And in it may be a call for someone else to leave behind the past and to serve you in everything they do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.